Okay, that's great. Thank you, Abby, for reading to us. Amazing verses uh, written in the first century to uh, a group of Christians in a place called Corinth uh, by the Apostle Paul, uh, who experienced incredible hardship, incredible challenge. And, uh, and today, we're going to look through those words and see how they might apply to our lives right here in 21st century Britain uh, as we enter into this second national lockdown. Now, I don't know how many of you follow boxing, uh, but I would guess at least some of you will have heard of a, a man called Tyson Fury. He's a, a British heavyweight boxer. Now, Tyson Fury is uh, allegedly, although who knows whether the third fight will happen or not, in a three-fight series with an American boxer called Deontay Wilder. And I just want to uh, briefly talk as an illustration before we dig into 2 Corinthians 6 uh, about the first fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder because Deontay Wilder is famed for his knockout punches for his big right hand that can end a fight in one single blow. And in this first bout between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, Wilder knocked Fury to the canvas twice. And on both occasions, people suspected that was it. The right hand has been landed. That's the end of the fight. Fury's done. And yet on both occasions against all the odds remarkably Tyson Fury managed to get back to his feet and to fight on. Fury was down but against all the odds not out. For him determination, self-belief, fighting spirit and I suspect a really strong jaw carried him through that fight. Now, all of us at times feel like we're, we're taking punches, feel like we're taking blows in life and that we just can't stand anymore. All of us at times will go through experiences that feel like they just knock us for six, like that big right hand of Deontay Wilder. But as Christians, we don't dig into self-belief and determination and fighting spirit to see us through. Instead, we have something altogether more strengthening and life-giving on which we draw. And that's what I want to look at today, because actually in these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul draws on his own experience of being down but not out, of taking blows and yet keeping moving forward. And he provides for us in these verses an incredible model of Christian endurance in the face of incredible hardship and suffering. Paul shows what it looks like or what it can look like to be knocked down but not out and what it takes to get back up and keep going. And so as we find ourselves in this second national lockdown, I want us to take these words as an encouragement for us today. You know, some of you may feel like you're taking punches right now. Maybe it's uncertainty about the future. 
Like, where is this all going? How's this going to end? Perhaps you're facing redundancy, as many in the UK are at this point in time. As companies begin to get to a point where it's simply unsustainable for them to go on functioning the way they have done, and, and so redundancies come. Maybe you're facing illness personally, or worried that you may do. Perhaps you're wrestling with feelings of depression and anxiety as the the isolation of lockdown comes again. Others I know amongst us are right now grieving the loss of loved ones. And in the midst of all of that, I want us to dig into these verses and draw strength today as we see what we can learn from Paul. So Paul begins in the verses Abby just read to us with a reminder that I think we need today. And he said this in verses 1 through to 2. He says, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, that's God says, in a favorable time I listened to you. And a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul is saying that he is working with God. And he wants to encourage and exhort the Corinthian church, his first readers, and in turn us, to take seriously the call of God. To see themselves too as co-laborers working with God in his mission. See, right now, in this moment, today, this week, in this four-week national lockdown, if you are a Christian, then you are caught up in the mission of God. You're caught up in his mission to proclaim freedom to the captives, to proclaim hope to the hopeless, to bring light to those walking in darkness to bring the good news of Jesus to those around you. Paul quotes Isaiah 49 and says, Now is the favourable time or acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. He, He wants to remind them of a sense of urgency. Remind them of the hope that they have, but also along with it, a sense of urgency. When he says, now is the favorable time or the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation, what he's saying is that this is a time at which God is bringing people into his kingdom through Christ Jesus. That he is drawing people into relationship with him. Now is that time, but... The implication here that Paul would not want us to miss is that there will be a day when that is no longer the case, when it is too late. We are in that day now, but the day of salvation will not last forever. The Bible teaches us that clearly, and that realization should focus us today, this week, in this four-week lockdown period This is no time for us to take our foot off the gas. This is no time for us to get our heads down 
and retreat into our homes when it comes to sharing the gospel. This is no time for us to just shut ourselves off from the rest of the world who desperately need hope in the midst of hopelessness, who desperately need to hear the message of freedom and life and fullness of joy that we have in Christ Jesus. You know, when the last lockdown happened, after the initial adrenaline rush of getting everything going and working out how we do online church and how we'd make the most of Zoom and life group WhatsApps and all those kinds of things, I have to admit that actually my head got down. Weariness and frustration and disillusionment began to set in. And I just stepped into kind of maintenance mode, just kind of getting through each day. I stopped thinking and praying to my shame. I stopped thinking and praying about the future for Foundation Church. I stopped thinking and and working out ways that we could keep moving forward and making progress even in the midst of this coronavirus season. I stopped looking for opportunities to share the gospel with people I know who don't yet know Jesus. Guys, I want to encourage you. Don't let that happen to you. Let's not, as Foundation Church, allow that to happen to us as we go into lockdown again. So we may have lost the opportunity to do a big fireworks event this weekend. That's frustrating. It is. Christmas and our ability to do some kind of large-scale guest Christmas service may be in the balance. That's frustrating. But the truth is is that all of us have friends and neighbours and colleagues and family who don't yet know Jesus. And so all of us have opportunities. All of us need to remember that now is the day of salvation. I want to encourage you, take the opportunities that God has given you right now in this season. Invite others to come and experience the glory and grace and goodness of Jesus. Paul also knew that how he lived in the day of salvation would either reinforce and back up this message that he boldly proclaimed, or it would undermine it and rob it of its power. And in these next verses that we're going to get onto, Paul offers his own and the team that worked with him's lives as a model of how he ensured that his witness would not be hindered by his actions. So we read in verse 3, he says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. See, Paul was utterly determined that if someone was going to reject God, if someone was going to reject the offer of eternal life through Christ, that they would not do that on account of Paul's life. They wouldn't do it on account of hypocrisy that they observed in him. 
See, Paul was sincere. He was genuine. He was a man of integrity. No, of course he wasn't sinless. And he got things wrong and he upset people. As we all do. Because no one is perfect except Christ. But those who were out to criticize Paul's ministry or to undermine it would be hard pressed to find legitimate grounds for complaint. Paul says we've we've put no obstacle in people's way of them coming to God. See, people observing Paul would not find self-centeredness or greed or manipulation. In fact, he was so determined to be above reproach, to put no obstacle in anyone's way that he wouldn't accept pay from churches. Insisting always on paying his own way so that no one could accuse him of just being in it for financial gain or what he could get out of it. I guess I want to ask you today, as we consider the fact that this is the day of salvation and that each one of us as Christians is caught up in the mission of God to take good news to those around us, can you say with Paul, we've put no obstacle in anyone's way? I'm not asking you to ask, am I perfect? (laughs) Am I utterly without fault? Because none of us are. But I am asking, does your life undermine the message of the gospel? Or are you living a life of humility, of integrity, of honesty, and of repentance? Where you're modeling to those around you the fact that, hey, do you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm not pretending to be. I get things wrong and I need to say sorry to you and I need to repent. And ask forgiveness from God. We can put on a mask and pretend to be perfect, but that doesn't actually help anyone. Sometimes I think we behave as though we could take the the growing out of growing like Jesus and and just say, like Jesus. That's me. Like Jesus. <laughs> and, and in one sense, before God, gloriously, that is true. That if you are in Christ, then his righteousness is given to you. But at the same time, it is very much not true. Because each one of us is going through a process of becoming more like him. That means we are not fully like him and we will not fully be like him until he returns and makes all things new. Each one of us sins, each one of us falls short, and each one of us needs to humbly ask for forgiveness. So I want to encourage you, knowing that this is the day of salvation, to do all you can to share the good news with those around you, but to make sure that Jesus is front and center, that people know that the hope you have is found in him and not in your own ability to be awesome. To the best of our ability, let's make sure that we don't put obstacles in people's way when it comes to them receiving Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there. He carries on. He, having been clear that they were living lives free from hypocrisy, is also keen that we know the way they've handled difficulties and that the way they've handled difficulties also backs up the gospel 
message. He says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. I mean, Paul went through the lot, right? This guy was beaten badly multiple times. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned wrongfully, unjustly. He was maligned and slandered and rejected by people. He endured sleepless nights, a hunger. And in all of them, he endured. See, how you respond when the storms of life come will either undermine the gospel or underline it. And Paul says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves. He says, actually, as servants of God, our lives verify the truthfulness of our teaching. Our lives give weight, give credence to our genuineness. How? By great endurance. It's that down but not out. Because when everything isn't going the way we want it to go, we keep trusting God. We keep going. We keep pressing forward. You see, to be able to keep going... To be able to go on, and if you got that list from Paul, but it's like kind of beatings, hunger, sleepless nights, imprisonment. Through all of those things, Paul continued to boldly declare the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The fact that Christ is the hope for the world. That the only way to relationship with God is by putting your faith and trust in the person and work of Christ Jesus. He went on proclaiming that. I don't know about you, but if someone endures all of those things because they've been proclaiming the good news of Jesus, which was the case for Paul, and then in spite of all of those things, they carry on proclaiming the good news of Jesus, well, that gives quite some weight to their message, doesn't it? Like if someone says, if you carry on preaching the gospel, I'll put you in prison, and then you carry on preaching the gospel, I would say you're pretty convinced of the truth of the gospel. Yeah? That was the case for Paul. It speaks loud and clear of the sincerity of his faith. But equally, the other end would be true. See, if you just follow God when life is easy, if you're just up for following God when everything goes how you want it to, if you just follow God and you're just up for sharing your faith when it's popular and people think well of you for doing so, and then when the going gets tough or someone takes offence or things get uncomfortable, all of a sudden you're not so keen anymore, well, What does that say about the sincerity of your faith? When we abandon God in times of challenge, we reveal actually that it's not really God who we love or trust, but that we simply love the things that we think he can give to us. And that's not Christianity. 
that's idolatry of the good life. But Paul and his companions really had encountered Jesus. Their hope truly was in Christ and in Christ alone. They really had found hope and life and freedom in him and their lives and their approach to suffering evidenced that fact. And it also equipped them with the tools to keep on going when life was tough. Paul carries on. He says this, he says, By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and for the left. Paul says, our endurance in hardship comes in purity, resisting temptation and living to honour God. In knowledge. Paul wants to point out that actually it's not just being blown about by emotionalism. It's not just kind of when it feels great, we go for it. And then when it doesn't feel so great, you turn your back. Oh, Paul says knowledge was important here. Actually to know the truth of the message of the gospel, to know the God revealed in Scripture to understand his character and his worth and his beauty was and is key for them to stand firm in the faith, was and was key for Paul and is key for us to be those who may get knocked down but not knocked out, who are able to greatly endure hardships. Reading and understanding God's word is vital. It sustains us and grounds us when times get tough. What else does he list? He says patience. The truth is, is when we're frustrated and impatient, generally, it, in, when things don't seem to be working out, generally, at the deepest level, it's a sign that we're not actually trusting God and resting in him. When we know the hope of the gospel, when we trust in the goodness of God, then it enables us to persevere with patience because we're trusting God for his timing and his ways. You know, Part of being filled with the Spirit, which we're going to get to in just a second, actually is growing in patience. And partly that's because the Holy Spirit teaches us to trust in God. But this, Paul also says kindness. There's another outworking of being filled with the Spirit, is kindness. Experiencing the kindness of God frees us and teaches us to be kind to others. And then he says, the Holy Spirit. He having already mentioned some of the characteristics that flow out of being filled with the Spirit, having the Holy Spirit at work in your life, Paul makes it clear we could not endure in these circumstances. We could not go through beatings and imprisonment and all of these things were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We could not do what we've done apart from the Spirit. It would simply not be possible. 
We couldn't continue to live and work as faithful servants of God, as faithful witnesses apart from the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Guys, this is a conscious, deliberate, daily dependence on the work of the Spirit. If we're going to make an impact for God in Wokingham and the surrounding area, if we're going to live lives that that underline instead of undermine the gospel, if we are going to bring hope to the lives of those around us, then we must live deliberately, daily, dependent on the Spirit of God. We must be those who are continually asking God to fill us again to transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ, to reveal his glory and goodness and grace to us again and again and again, to daily and prayerfully ask for his equipping and enabling to live for him, to ask for his forming and leading in our lives. The Spirit is essential if we're going to endure. He carries on. Genuine love. The life of an effective Christian is marked by love. Genuine, sincere love. Because if you actually love people, truly love people, then you will do all that you can to serve them. You will do all that you can to care for them. And you will also do all that you can to point them to the only true living hope Jesus you'll also be someone marked by truthful speech Paul continues he's not seeking to deceive anyone or hoodwink anyone but also in love and truthful speech not shying away from being clear and honest with people about their need of Christ how else did they endure Paul says, by the power of God. This ties in with the Holy Spirit, leaning on and recognizing that ultimately, if we're going to accomplish anything, the truth is is that it's ultimately God's work and not ours. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. See, our good lives and our clever words simply aren't enough. No one will ever, can ever come to Christ just because you give a very convincing presentation. We're dependent on the power of God to be at work. But we don't want to let our hypocritical lives get in the way. And finally, Paul says, continue to endure with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. Now it's not entirely clear what Paul means by this. It's a kind of quirky phrase, to be honest. But we know that Paul viewed righteousness as a gift of God given through Christ. That Jesus' righteousness is given to us as though it were our own. And, and so in some sense, Paul could be talking about the, the covering righteousness of Christ, that his standing before God was based on Christ's perfection and not his But I don't think it's unreasonable, actually, to make the link to what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 to 17, where Paul describes the the spiritual armor for a Christian, the armor of God that, as a Christian, we are to put 
on. He says to put on the whole armor of God. And within that, he talks about the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. Swords typically being held in the right hand and shields in the left. Faith and God's word. The Bible as righteous weapons in our right hand and left, both to defend against the accusations of the enemy who would seek to tell us that like, God doesn't really love you. He's not really for you. Like when you did that, like I think probably, you know, that's too much now. You've gone, God can't possibly forgive you for that. The shield of faith. No, I stand righteous because of what Christ has done. And the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to, to take ground, to proclaim truth in your life and other people's. As we read these things that we've just read, we can kind of think, wow, I mean, Paul's an impressive guy, right? He went through just unimaginable difficulty, and yet in all of it, came out as someone filled with the Holy Spirit, someone who spoke and acted in love, someone who, all of those characteristics that we've just talked about, and yet the truth is, in spite of that, actually he wasn't always received well. He was slandered by others. And so he continues his list about serving God. We serve God through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise. We're treated as imposters, and yet we're true, as unknown and yet well-known. This first group of things are about how people receive them and about how people receive you and speak about you. They're all about your reputation. See, some honoured them and some dishonoured them. Some praised and others spoke ill of them and tried to find a way to bring them down. Some claimed that Paul and his team were fraudsters trying to manipulate people. And they were treated and overlooked as though they were nobodies even though they were in fact well known. They were being marginalised and rejected. But Paul could endure these things because he wasn't living for the approval of people. You guys, if you're living for the approval of people, then when people speak ill of you, if you experience these things when someone dishonours you, when you're marginalised for following God, actually if you're seeking the approval of people, then that will be not just difficult, that will be too much. But Paul and his companions, first and foremost, saw themselves as servants of God. Their primary focus was to honour and please God, and so actually what people said of them was really of little consequence, whether they were honoured or dishonoured, accepted or rejected, praised or slandered. It didn't really matter. They could tolerate it because they knew who they were in God and for whose approval they were truly living, the one who had already accepted them because of the finished work of Jesus. It carries on. There's dying and behold we live, punished and yet not killed We've looked at this in recent weeks in Ecclesiastes. This is true for all of us, actually. We are dying. <laughs> I mean, I guess perhaps Paul may have felt it more acutely than most of us. You know, by the time he wrote this letter after 
you know, shipwreck and beatings and imprisonments, I, I guess you might feel that you were dying after enduring those kinds of things. At the moment with coronavirus, something that's in sharp focus for many of us, yet this is Paul's perspective. As dying, yet we live. And as those who hope in Christ, we live. We live now and live forever in glory with God. And then he carries on, sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. I think this is important for us at this time. We can experience and express sorrow. That's expected, right? That's natural. Even at times in the Bible, that's encouraged. But we have an overriding cause for rejoicing. Because our hope doesn't rest on being healthy or wealthy or having a long life or being well-liked by people. Our hope rests in the finished work of Jesus and the approval and acceptance of the mighty God of heaven. At this time, as we feel the challenge of lockdown again, as we feel the sorrow of being unable to see loved ones, of being able, unable to meet and eat and pray with friends, unable to gather to worship, it's appropriate and understandable that there is a sense of loss and sorrow that we experience even specifically in the context of church. It's actually entirely appropriate to feel a sense of loss and sorrow at being unable to meet together, at having to revert to online services. I'm grateful for the technology that allows us to do this. But it's appropriate to feel sorrow for what's lost in our inability to get together. Because the coming together of God's people to remind one another and be reminded in songs and in readings and through the preaching of the word of the goodness and grace and glory of God. of Coming together to minister to one another through prayer and through sharing communion. When we're unable to gather, there is something essential lacking. Yet Paul says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You see, even in the face of things that cause legitimate sorrow, redundancies, bereavements, illness, loneliness, you know what it is for you, causes you to feel sorrow. Paul says, if you hope in Jesus, sorrowful, yes, yet always rejoicing. We can rejoice because Christ is enough. He says, being poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. This is our status as Christians. We may have nothing that the world tells us we should have. It may be that we have no riches, no position, no influence, any of the other things that the world would tell you you need in order to be successful. But in Christ, we have everything. And that means that we also have everything to share. Having nothing, yet possessing everything, being poor by the world's standards, yet making many rich as we share the gospel and they too receive an internal inheritance through Christ. 
In Acts 3, we read this short story about Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples going to the temple to pray. And on their way, they met a lame beggar who asked them for money. How did Peter reply? Yeah, here's some cash. No. He said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And the man was healed. And he went into the temple for the first time in his life, giving glory to God. He found new life through the work of Jesus that day. Peter and John didn't have what the man thought he needed. But what they had was so much more precious. And so do you. I know some of you are finding it hard right now, facing redundancies, grieving lost loved ones. Some of you have experienced the pain of rejection in various ways, of being marginalized, of being slandered, perhaps unjustly, by others. Perhaps you hear those words that we read today and you feel like you are poor, sorrowful, punished, and dying. And yet... As Paul wrote, if you hope in Christ, then you live. You have reason to rejoice. And what's more, far from being poor, you have the most precious thing ever, not just for yourself, but to share with those around you, to share with your friends and neighbours and colleagues and family at this time. So I want to encourage you that now is the favourable time. Even right now in this lockdown, now is the day of salvation. And so however you may feel, the truth is, is that if you hope in Christ, you have everything you will ever need and an abundance of good news and hope to share with those around you. I want to encourage you to do all that you can to point people to Jesus this week to share out of the abundance of which God has given you, to speak hope to the hopeless, to proclaim good news to the captives, to remember that this is the day of salvation.